This afternoon we're closing out our series, Winning the Fight, Spirit versus Flesh. And we've been navigating our way through Galatians 5, and we will be exploring and examining the last three verses, verses 24 through 26 of Galatians 5. And the title of my message is The Joy of the Journey. Amen. And this is a a, a significant series for us as believers on how we can overcome the flesh and live in the spirit because it's a daily battle and it's something we need to acknowledge and work towards. So Paul gives us three final instructions in Galatians 5 verses 24 to 26. I will read the ESV translation. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so the goal of our time together this afternoon is to basically understand Paul's instructions and on how we can practically apply these instructions in our daily lives that we find today. Ultimately, we will find that the answer is to delve deeper into our personal relationship with Christ. Our focus has to become his focus. Amen? The things that are on his heart have to become the things that are on our heart. Which means we may find ourselves tiptoeing into parts of our lives to surrender some personal preferences that might sit uncomfortably with some of us here this afternoon. But if we want to grow, we want to develop that spiritual maturity, this is what we ultimately need to do. Paul is very, very clear here. True faith in Christ is always demonstrated by our character. Always. Very important for us to recognize that as we start this journey here this afternoon. A counterfeit spirit is the things of the flesh. We're not called as Christians to live by the flesh. We're called to live by the Spirit. Do you know that you're called not just to a life in Christ, but you're called to a passionate, radical, transformational life in Christ. Jesus did not die for mediocrity. Amen. He did not die for you to just get by in your life. He died that you would have life, life in all its fullness, and that you would fulfill the high calling and the plan and purpose that he has placed within you. And so we need to discover what that is, We need to find the pitfalls and we need to avoid those pitfalls and journey together today. So I'm going to break these verses down verse by verse. And so the goal ultimately is to identify our fleshly behavior and its motivators, which we will get to later. Learn how to either get in step with the Spirit or stay in step with the Spirit, depending on where we are, and how we can find joy in our journey. So verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Objective number one, nail your flesh to the cross of Calvary, please. Amen. Amen. That is so important for us to do. Now I can hear someone saying, I already have pastor. Amen. (laughs) But it's not a one-time event. We need to be very conscious of that in our lives. It's not a one-time event where you nail it to the cross of Calvary on the day that you get born again, and that's it, job done. 
What Paul is making very clear is that it's not a one-time event. You might even find yourself in moments and situations in your life where you want to go and retrieve your fleshly desires and start to engage with them again because the flesh is weak and sometimes as Christians we settle for the lowest, easiest, most comfortable and convenient scenario. And yet Paul is telling us very clearly here that we have to raise our standard, raise our expectation, and live a life that glorifies God. We will wrestle in this arena until we get to glory. Sorry to break that to you, but it is our reality. There is no hiding place. The best response is for us to accept that, tackle it head on, deal with it directly, frankly, and with complete honesty. That will give you the best possible chance of winning in this arena in your life. So I want to start with a question for you to consider in your own life. When was the last time that you were truly grieved? Grieved, not like mildly upset. Grieved by the state of your own sin. What did it stir up inside you? Did it cause you to go further away from God? Or did it cause you to draw closer to the Father's heart? to embrace his grace, to understand that that is the thing that is blocking your relationship from growing and reaching the next level. Because if we don't grieve over the state of our sin, we will never make progress. There will be no maturing, there will be no development, and there will be no victory. It's something that we need to take hold of in our own lives. The content of your heart, the demeanor that you demonstrate to those people who have hurt or disappointed you, the immediacy of your conviction in this arena reflects your heart. The quicker that we are convicted of our sin, the more we want to be like Christ, the more we want to abandon things. And there will be moments and opportunities in our lives for sin to emerge, for us to fall in this particular part of our lives, and the speed and the immediacy with which we build accountability, transparency, honesty, and we move away from it, reflects ultimately what is in our heart. If you start to negotiate, you start to dabble in it, start to entertain it, you are laying yourself open to falling deep into that area. The only acceptable answer for us is to acknowledge it and then abandon it. Why? Your whole life experience as a Christian is as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice to Christ. This process alone tells us that it is not a one-step journey with Jesus. You're going to deal with sinful thoughts, bad attitudes, and maybe even a natural disposition to falling into sin in this arena. There is no escaping it. It is a blatant reality, which means that we need to build a robust system in our lives that minimizes our risk. Because if you think that it can't happen, you're already in trouble. If you pretend that you can't fall in this area, you're already in serious trouble. You've probably already fallen. You just don't recognize it in that moment. I want you to pay attention for a moment to what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say for those who want to belong, those who are looking forward to belonging, those who might want to belong. No, he is saying very, very clearly to those who belong in Christ Jesus. He is addressing believers. He is addressing you and I this afternoon. Those of us that already possess 
a healthy relationship with Christ, which means that we have an active, engaging, ongoing responsibility for us as believers to deal with it. Now, your response and your responsibility radiates from your own understanding about what Jesus did at the cross. That's why Paul uses the word crucify. He doesn't say kill, he says crucify, because it should bring us back to the cross, back to the cross of Calvary, where we enjoyed all that Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. Do you know that your thinking drives your behavior? Some of you are thinking about what you're thinking about. And that's a good thing. You should think about what you think about. Because your thinking directly impacts your behavior. So what are you thinking about? What are your motives when you have conversations? You got born again, but your flesh didn't. Crucifying the flesh is not a one-off event. It is a continual process. Now, the, the flesh... Our sin is always expressed and demonstrated, as Paul says, by the subsequent passions and desires. That's where it manifests, which means that we need to own our passions and desires. Because you know what they do? They violate God's plan and God's purpose for your life. Your passions and your desires, that's what's driving your flesh. Those are the motivators. Those are the things that you're entertaining and engaging with that is causing you to fall in this area. They operate in direct opposition to God's word. They are grounded in personal preferences and selfishness with no motivation for righteousness, holiness, purity, integrity, accountability. Nothing of the kingdom ever comes from the flesh. And yet you have been renewed in Christ. Amen. Paul himself says it in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I, it is Christ who lives in me. We have been renewed. We have been released to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has placed on us. So the consideration for you today in your own life, think about some of your thoughts, those desires, those passions. Where are they emerging from? It's a direct result of what's happening in your life. We are all impacted, whether we admit it or not, by our circumstances. And eventually, you can become a product of your circumstances, your community, the environment with which you are continually exposed to. And so if you find yourself in moments where you're struggling, you need to find a way of getting out of some of those environments, for some of us in the room, and get ourselves connected to more Christians so that we can grow in our journey together. Because when you start to share what's on your heart with someone else, you start to get impacted, you start to get influenced, you start to get encouraged by somebody else's journey, and you're not just living a life of challenge and mediocrity in and of yourself. You start to grow as a genuine disciple of Christ. So what are the motives behind some of your thoughts in where you are? How are you dealing with them? Are you even aware of them? in your life because God wants to deal with those thoughts. Because it's at that intersection where you start to acknowledge what is of the spirit in your life, your passions and your desires, and the things that are not, it's at that intersection that you start to make progress. You start to find freedom and you start to find wholeness in who you are in Christ. 
because we all know it. The moment you commit your life to Christ, obviously the flesh has been nailed. We understand that it's been crucified. But the second step is very, very important. It's a two-pronged attack that Paul gives us. He isn't content in simply crucifying the flesh, which most Christians would be. I know in my early days, I was thrilled, just crucify the flesh, I'm good. But actually, it's a second step in that process. It's the passions and the desires. It's those things that are driving the flesh. It's almost like the fruit and the root. If you kill the fruit, the fruit is gone. But you've got to deal with the root, or that root is going to grow more fruit in your life. And so you've got to deal with the root. What is happening in your life? What are the desires and the passions that are driving you? Some of it's hidden. Some of it you may not even have an awareness of yourself, but others will be more obvious in your life. Because ultimately, it's the passion and the desires that we possess that determine our behavior. So it's an opportunity for you today to explore your life. What would it look like if you genuinely had a pure heart? If we had a completely renewed mind? If we had a desire to live a life that adds value and life and encouragement to every person that we can connect here? So one of the greatest principles that we can do with this particular verse is we need to enforce the victory that Jesus gave us at the cross. Amen? It's more than just simply having an awareness of it or even having an intellectual understanding or having a robust theological perspective of it. You need to enforce it each and every day in your life. That is where you will start to gain victory. That is where you will start to retrieve the ground that may have been lost from yesteryear weeks, months, and situations in your life. Apply all that was acquired at the cross in your daily life, and you will experience victory. How is that possible? Very simple. The next verse actually informs us. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Do you know that God knows what he's doing in your life? Amen. And I think we should take some comfort and encouragement from that. So often, that is the first perspective that falls away from a believer's life when we're struggling in this particular area. He's a God of order. He's a God of detail. He's a God of perfection. He is never wrong. He is perfect in all of his ways, which means that our lives must be governed by the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. So when you think about going for a walk, like you go for a walk with a friend, it is assumed and expected and accepted before you even start walking that you're going to walk next to each other, right? <laughs> you know, it'd be kind of awkward if I said, well, let's go for a walk around Hyde Park and you're 10 steps in front of me. The moment you keep in step with someone without even communicating, you're building harmony, Amen. unity, focus, commitment, and you know exactly what's going on in the other person's life. But if you run too far ahead, a lot of Christians do that in their daily walk. They run ahead of what they think God is doing. And we try to predict what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our lives. That was a trap I fell into in my early days. That steals your joy, by the way, so don't bother doing that. I'll save you the time. If we run ahead, we don't find that God is with us because we're out of step all the time. If you start to lag behind, that's kind of awkward. I wouldn't want to go for a walk. You know those ones, you've got friends, right? They, they stop at every shop. Every shop. You're, like, you, you're talking to them and then you find that you know, they've stopped at Starbucks for the third time. That's kind of awkward. Doesn't work. Doesn't build unity. Doesn't build cohesion. 
And you know, if you're out of step, it only takes one step and you're back in line. But actually, it's something that we need to think about in our daily lives. The kingdom principle here, ultimately for us, is to seek God's help and ask him and him alone to order your steps. There is no manual, there is no program, there is no process that can ever give you a better or a richer answer than keeping what God says for you to do at the forefront of your heart and life. And like I said, your job is not to predict what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. You're called to follow him. You're not called to be in front of him. You're called to follow him. And the way you do that is by keeping in step with him. You know, if you keep in step with the Spirit, you will have the capacity and the capability to stay in step with the Spirit. So how are you doing with that? And if you're not sure, the chances are you might not be completely in step with the Spirit. By the way, that's not an optional extra on your Christian diet and menu. Amen? That's not something like, oh, I'll do that if it's convenient, or if I get the right answer, God gives me the right husband or the right wife, or anything like that. No, 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 no. It's about you staying in step with the Spirit. Because when you're in step with the Spirit, you're in His will. You're in his plan, you're in his purpose, you know exactly what he wants to do in and through your life, and you will experience that joy. Because if the Holy Spirit is within you, you can keep in step. The key to unlocking that is that you must surrender your perceived right for control. And I use that word very carefully, perceived, because a lot of us as Christians, we think we've got a measure of control over our lives. We don't. The very breath you just took, he gave you. Amen. But it's that sense of control that we often wrestle with in our lives because we like to retain some measure of control and charge over certain outcomes in our lives. It is a process that we must become predisposed to. We must permission him to direct our steps. It should become an automatic action not sitting on a list of options that you might engage with on a Sunday, let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do, but Monday through Saturday, you're in charge. That doesn't work. Because it's easy to get out of sync with something or someone, and yet we're called to live lives that add value to every person that we encounter. That is always best expressed and experienced when you're walking in total harmony and tandem with God. And ultimately, that is where the joy is fundamentally found, and that is where the faith is generated. Because... Your life lives at the opposite end of the spectrum otherwise. If you're not walking in step with the Spirit, do you know what happens to your life? Your life becomes repetitive, it becomes bland, it becomes dulled by the circumstances and challenges of your life. You go be, your life becomes monotonous and mundane, it becomes boring, you cease to live, you start to exist. That's over there. That's if you're out of step with the Spirit. Amen. We're moving over here. Do you know what this is? This is the other end of your spiritual spectrum, right here. This is the watered garden. This is where you're living in perpetual anticipation for what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you. This is where joy emerges. This is where your strength is found. This is where your resolve is demonstrated. This is where your credibility is enhanced. This is where your integrity is developed. This is where you grow and flourish. This is where your life is anything but mundane, anything but boring, anything but repetitive, anything but bland. There is value here. There is life here. There is purpose here. There is your destiny sitting right here. And by the way, 
you're on the, either on that side or this side. There's no middle ground. You're either in step with the Spirit or you're not. So there's no, I'm kind of in step with the Spirit. So you, girls as well, listen to me. You're not kind of in a relationship with a guy, right? <laughs> you're either in that relationship with him or you're not. Amen? You're either sitting right now in this room or you're not. It's as simple as that. So don't settle for middle ground. Don't, don't allow compromise and haziness and uncertainty to start to creep in to what God wants to do in your spiritual life. Amen. That is very significant for us in our lives. So we have to ask ourselves the question, are we truly living in the Spirit? Or are we going through the motions of our Christian walk? Because ultimately what Paul is saying here is when you're in step with the Spirit, you are perfectly positioned to steward your Christian life. Because you know the Holy Spirit's never wrong, right? The only challenge for us in this moment is one thing, obedience. And that's where a lot of us struggle. We are committed Christians until it becomes inconvenient or uncomfortable. And that's where we need to find ultimately breakthrough. So is the Holy Spirit truly operating in your heart where you are continually led and directed by him in complete obedience? Are you passionately pursuing God's will for your life? Because discipline is ultimately what is needed in this area. Will power alone is horribly insufficient. If you think that you can orchestrate some mad formula for your own life, I'm going to get up at five and pray for the walk in the spirit. Let me know how you get on at five o'clock tomorrow morning. I bet you would still be in bed asleep. What I'm saying is do not think that you and you alone have the answer for what you need. The answer is to get in step with the Holy Spirit. That means for some of us getting out of our comfort zones, surrendering our personal preferences, allowing God to be God in our lives. Because many of us, we profess to have faith, we profess to be in the Spirit, but there's very little fruit being manifested. There's no joy on display in our lives, optional obedience in our engagement with the Holy Spirit, and that leaves us unfulfilled, discouraged, and lacking passion for Christ. The evidence of our faith in Christ is that we are walking by the Spirit each and every day, which leads us to verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul is now essentially drawing his thoughts to a close and issuing some final instructions. Actually, you could argue this is a warning to us, not even instructions. The problem is pretty simple. We run the risk of becoming conceited. It's not to say that it will happen, but we run the risk of becoming conceited. Where sin emerges and steals our joy and our focus, we marshal our efforts and our energy into things or people that God has not called us to. That's a problem. And so when we become conceited, and I'm sure we might know someone maybe, so if you are unsure of what conceited is, it means you're basically right, you're completely superior to everyone else, and everyone else is always wrong. <laughs> Maybe we know someone like that. I don't know. It's an air of superiority, an attitude of arrogance. It is an undercurrent in our verbal communication or nonverbal. He's highlighting, Paul, here, that this is an inevitable danger. He doesn't indicate any other risk other than the chances are that we could become conceited. And he makes it clear that it doesn't just happen overnight. 
It's not that we become conceited one minute and then it falls away the next day. It's a gradual process. It implies some sort of journey, some sort of convergence of decisions in our hearts that help us arrive at that point. It is an awful mindset to adopt because you will never learn. The moment you become conceited, you have just killed the opportunity you have to continue growing in your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. The more open we are, the more receptive we are, the chances are the more we grow. And you know, ultimately, behind a conceited person is someone who is outwardly arrogant and maybe has an answer for everything, but inwardly they are deeply unfulfilled, insecure, and feeling inadequate of themselves. Now that's a reoccurring issue for us as Christians. Because as Christians, we often assume we're right. We often assume we choose the highest standard every time, that we make the most judicious decisions, that we are always implying the strongest strategy in our life. And yet, actually, that doesn't happen. And this is Paul writing. This is a guy who's been through a few things, and he's giving us a warning. He gives us contemplation, and he also gives us a caution. It is a serious warning not to become too confident that that confidence becomes arrogance which means that we don't glorify ourselves. We glorify what God is doing in us and what God is doing through us, but it's not about us. And too often as Christians, on the journey, we make it about us. That will steal your joy, friends, and that will erode the faith, the hope, and the confidence that we have in God. And you know, here's the awful part. The only result of being conceited is it produces more sin in your life. That's awful. That's not life-giving. That's not Christ-centered. He makes it very clear. Let us not become conceited. Next words. Provoking one another. The words one another appear 87 times in the New Testament, which means that we are either motivated by feelings of inferiority or superiority. We regard ourselves as superior to other people, so we start to challenge them. We start to become combative. We start to become aggressive towards that person. That's flesh. That's not adding value. That's not bringing encouragement. That's not speaking life into that person. Equally, if we feel inferior, we start to become envious, which is what he says at the end, provoking one another, envying one another. There is nothing positive. There is nothing kingdom-centered implied in that moment. So we need to be ruthless, friends. We need to confess our sin and own our sin in this area. Repent of it and remind ourselves that we have already been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, but it is Christ who lives in me. So some learning outcomes very briefly for us this afternoon. This is an opportunity for you and I to self-examine our hearts. What emotions and feelings are dominating the landscape of your heart? What emerges in your life when you're under pressure? What is communicated by you when you're out of step with the Spirit? It's a lifelong battle, so you'll need to build some spiritual muscles to resist and reject the temptations of the flesh. But don't allow the fact that it's a lifelong battle discourage you or demotivate you from attempting to live right and live a life that is wholesome and healthy for God. Get in step with the Spirit. If you are out of step with the Spirit, it's only one step and you're back in step with the Spirit. And it would be foolish to think that nobody has any challenges in this area. You are deceiving yourself. And here's an awkward thought. If you don't think you can be deceived, I have some bad news for you. You're already deceived. (laughs) And you know the biggest challenge about deception? The price is always paid before you become aware of it. 
every time. And the consequences are quite profound in many areas of our lives. You know that we've been given a God-centered responsibility to live righteously. You're not making a sacrifice, nailing your flesh to the cross of Calvary. You're creating a better expression of the Father's love, of what He has done for you. And so we have God's grace as our answer, and so now we need to decide what it is that we want. Because it's a timely reminder for us today to return time and again to the cross of Calvary. Apart from Him, we are nothing. We've got to stay plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit to be perfectly positioned to live radical lives of holiness and righteousness. Our heart attitude needs to be predisposed to loving Him for who He is. And that will become blatant to every person that you encounter in your life, which means that we can't allow the external pressures, the cultural challenges of life and society today to challenge the way that we choose to think. Because if we live by the Spirit, we have to walk in the Spirit. The evidence of this will be found in us turning away from our sin and asking for the Spirit's help. For this to be achievable, we need to cultivate a lifestyle of fullness in Christ. It's not a tap that we can turn off and on in given moments of our lives, depending on our circumstance. It is a steady, growing, developing feature of your Christian walk. Remember, your thinking directly impacts your behavior. So make it an opportunity for you this afternoon to make a decision in your heart, in your mind, to deepen your knowledge in walking in step with the Spirit and the immeasurable benefits attached to that journey. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. The whole of Galatians 5 is a searching chapter about what is ultimately in our heart, what is driving us. A sobering reality check for us today. It's a spiritual slap in the face to assess where we are in our journey with Him. Don't cheat yourself. Move beyond merely thinking about making changes. Actually do it. I heard a, a question, uh, some phrase, two frogs were on a ledge. One decided to jump off. How many frogs are on the ledge? Most people say one. Deciding and doing are not the same thing. You have to decide that step one, and then you need to implement. You need to action step two. That is where you will find progress. The problem is deciding is easy. The doing is the harder bit. So invariably we settle for just, oh, that was a great word, Brother Scott. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Great word of encouragement. But nothing changes. And yet the capacity is immeasurable if we choose to not get stuck in deciding, but we actually start doing. Because it's in that moment and that moment alone that we discover the joy of the journey that we experience with Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.